we are very thankful that we can be gathered together today and on this Holy Sabbath day. So as we now are entering the, the opening your word, may your spirit be upon us and bless us together. And may be we enriched and drawn closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you a little of my own journey as I came into the Adventist faith and I came into a relationship with Christ. And I want to do it through my testimony of flying. One of the desires I had when I was just little, I always wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to follow my father's footsteps. He was a pilot in the Marines, and I wanted to be a military pilot. So, in fact, I can remember the first, when I was just little, maybe five or six, I had asked for an airplane for Christmas. And when I went down and looked under the tree, not only was there this big airplane, but there was a whole Air Force base with jets and trucks and men and all. I mean, just as a little kid, I was kind of overwhelmed, to be honest with you. Well, anyway, that, that dream came true, and I became an Air Force pilot. Now, here's the picture of the first plane, the first plane I ever flew. I can remember very well this, this plane. We went, the, the instructor was with me, and uh, we went to an auxiliary field, and he pulled off and got out of the, raised the canopy and started to get out. And I said, sir, where are you going? He said, I'm getting out. You are going by yourself. And oh my goodness, my heart just started to race. And oh, what have I got lost? And what if something happened? And just the list goes on, you know. Well, obviously I made it, but that's the kind of, the just moment it was, the, the first time I ever flew that by myself. This next plane this is the supersonic ones we flew. The first time I ever went up in that plane, I was breathing so hard that I, I could not control my breathing. We were taxiing out, and I was going, and I was sitting in the front. The instructor was in the back. And so we took the runway, and I was to make the takeoff. And here we are roaring down the runway, and I'm breathing like this through the microphone. You can hear it. And I was to, as we lifted up, to call for the landing gear to come up. So we lifted into the air, and I said, landing gear up. And my instructor said to me, McCoy, you are just a little bit behind the airplane. I already took care of the landing gear, and it won't be too long. We'll be going through 10,000 feet, so I would kind of like you to do the checklist. And by the way, I sure wish you would relax and save some of the oxygen for me. So, so I had that experience. This, this next one, well, no, actually this is a picture of the flight class, and I don't know if you can see it, but I am, <clears throat> I am right there, front row, far down, in my younger days. <laughs> um, this plane, I saw quite a few of these coming into Tallahassee yesterday, actually. This, is a, this was the plane that I was assigned to after graduation, and I 
flew this over in Southeast Asia. And in fact, something very interesting, during the Saigon evacuation in 1975, and by the way, this plane is designed for about 85 passengers. We were putting on during the evacuation two, three, even a couple times, 400 people onto that plane as we evacuated them out of Saigon. It was kind of an amazing thing. This was the plane that I was flying when the Lord got a hold of my life. And I found myself in evangelistic meetings at the Sharon Amity Seventh-day Adventist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had no idea about the Adventist faith at that time. Just saw a brochure, went to the meetings, and that's where the Lord got a hold of my life in no uncertain terms, and everything changed. And so <clears throat> I had to make some changes because I was now an aircraft commander on this plane in the guard unit at, the, the, at Charlotte. This is where I flew and and on weekends. And so I remember I went to my, um, well, first of all, let me tell you, I was very much trying to get on the airlines. And I had been interviewing with all the major airlines. But now that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, keeping the Sabbath, it wasn't going to be easy to start a career like that and keep the Sabbath. So I started trying to figure out what the next step is. But concerning the guard, I remember going to my commander and I told him about my situation. So he let me have off on Saturdays for a few months. And then I remember one day he called me in. And he said, Les, you either got to be here or resign. He said, I went to a meeting where there were 100 chaplains. And I asked him about this. You can't tell me 100 chaplains are wrong. And so with tears in my eyes, I resigned from that. There was like a 1,000 people in that unit. They all knew that, that I had resigned for my faith. And, but, you know, as I look back on it, everything that I have today that's important to me, my wife and my daughter, my position with, in, the, in the conference as publishing director and been working with students and people like Tim and, and all, all of our, Joe, all these years, with our, our literature evangelists, all that important to me, my faith in, in Christ, my faith, the faith we all share together as Seventh-day Adventists, none of that would have happened if I hadn't made the decisions, just like all of you had to make decisions too, the decisions that I made back in those days. But every once in a while, you have something that takes you back. I remember I was recruiting some students down in Puerto Rico, and I was flying home, and I went to Fort Lauderdale, and there were some pilots there. They weren't flying. They were just riding like I was. So I was waiting in Fort Lauderdale, and I just started talking to one of them. It turns out that he used to fly this plane in Southeast Asia the same time I was there. We never met. <clears throat> he had just retired from the Air National Guard, so he had this nice pension for the rest of his life. And he was not only that, he was the, a, a captain with United Airlines on the biggest plane in the world, the 747. And when I heard that, it just kind of took the wind out of me for a second, you know. So I remember that feeling. And I, so when I got home, I told my wife that story. She said, oh, sweetheart, are you having a little flashback? She said, look at it this way. 
If you had gone that direction in your life, first of all, you never would have met me. And secondly, nobody ever sees the pilot anyway. So, I guess there's a lesson there. Don't tell your wife all the things that you're thinking about (laughs) because you're going to get a straight answer, you know. But this last picture I want to show you, this is the plane I was flying when I was flying that big one at the same time. This was quite the experience flying this plane. I was working for a company and called Mountain Air Cargo, and we were flying this plane all over the southeast. We hauled everything. Auto parts, dolphins. Yeah, our, our owner was big with SeaWorld, so he had us, you know, we put the dolphins in the back in a canvas kind of thing, and the trainer would sit in the co-pilot seat and just kind of spray water over the dolphins, and off we'd go. Chickens, you know, the little ones, like cheap, 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 you know, the little chickens, baby chicks. I think I had 2,000 passengers one time. And I remember one time my boss told me he wanted me to take a load of these chickens up to New York, to Kennedy. And it was in the wintertime. And he told me, whatever you do, don't run the heater because it'll kill the chickens. Now, I don't know if that was true or not. I don't know if he was just teasing me or what, but I believed him. And I had this heavy jacket on, and here I am flying up, up there to New York, and it was so cold, and I was just freezing. You could probably see the airplane shaking because my hands were on the wheel, and I was going like this, you know. And, and so as I got up, got up there, I, I, you know, I got to thinking, no, I mean, I, I got so cold, I decided I'd just throw on the heater just for a little bit. So I turned on the heater, and oh, it felt so good. But then I got the thinking about those chickens. And I decided, wow, I better not take a chance. So I turned the heater off, but I just always remember looking over my shoulder to see if I'd fried those chickens, you know. And one day, <clears throat> my boss called me up, and he fired me for not flying on the Sabbath. And by the way, there's another story i got to add in here just before I, then I'll come back to that. But I, I, in the midst of all of this, I decided that I was trying to get on the airlines, I was trying to get my jet time up a little bit. So I took a job on a Learjet as a co-pilot. But I had to upgrade the physical to get the job. So when I went to the doctor, the doctor said, he noticed, he says, you know, you have a very slow heart rate. It's only 44 beats per minute. He said, in fact, at night, it goes down to 30 beats per minute. He said, that's two whole seconds between beats. He said, if it went to 20, that would be three whole seconds between beats. And I said, well, doctor, how low do they go? He said, they do go to zero. And he wouldn't pass me. I got a buddy to take the job. But don't you know, it was just two weeks later that those evangelistic meetings came to town. And if I'd been off on some new venture, 
I never would have gone to those meetings. And I look at that as one of the most providential things God did to get me where he wanted me to be when he wanted me to be there. But here I was flying this plane, and my boss called me up and he fired me because I wouldn't fly on the Sabbath. And so <clears throat> I, I remember praying, Lord, what am I going to do? The, the, the airlines is gone. The Air National Guard is gone. The Learjet's gone. Now this is gone. How am I going to make a living? Well, two weeks later, my boss called me back up and he rehired me. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, I really wanted you to fly on this new airlines we have, but you won't fly on your Sabbath on Saturday, and we just can't have that. But I'll tell you what I'll do. If you will fly for us from Sunday through Friday, anytime we need you, hauling the freight in this plane right here, if you'll do that, you got your job back, and you've got your Sabbaths off. I said, wow. Praise the Lord. So I was back, back in the ball game again. One night, <clears throat> he called me up and he, at 11.30 at night and wanted me to take a plane, take this plane to, from, from Charlotte to Chicago. Now, I was, I was just getting ready to go to bed. I'd been up all day long. But at 11.30 at night, he called me. By the time I got to the airport, got the plane ready and took off. It's probably going on 1 o'clock or 12.30, 1 o'clock. I got up to Chicago <clears throat> the wee hours of the morning. I could have gone into the flight room they had there and, take a, and rested a little bit, but I just said, you know, the traffic gets so hectic up here, I just want to get out of here. So I got the plane ready and I, I took off. By the time... <clears throat> This was all going on. It's probably 5.30. The sun hasn't come up yet. I'd been up for over 24 hours. It's just me, no co-pilot, no autopilot. And I'm starting to get tired, really tired, to the point that I'd be flying along and, and I'd start drifting off and my hands would fall off the wheel and the plane would start descending and that would pick up speed, it would make noise, and that would wake me up. And I'd look and I'd go, whoa, like this, you know, and I'd pull the plane back up to where it's supposed to be and get back on the altitude and, and hoping the controller didn't see me off the altitude and all of that. And so i get things going again, and next thing you know, same thing. Whoa. Well, this went on for a while. But every time I drifted off, I began to notice that I was drifting off for a little longer period of time. And it began to freak me out that I was going to drift off and I was not going to wake up. And so when in doubt, you got to do something. You can't just park one of these things on a cloud. And so, you know, the saying was, when in, in the military, they always said, when in doubt, do something. So there's my something. I, I got out of the seat. I stepped back into the cargo area, and I reached into the, grabbed the controls like this. So now I'm flying the plane standing up like this. And then I started jogging like this and slapping myself in the face as hard as I could. And then I started screaming out loud, 
There wasn't anybody else there, so to myself, but out loud, these words. You can not go to sleep now. And I did that for 30 minutes or so. I finally got to where I could land, got back in the seat. I almost fell asleep even landing then. I got the thing on the ground, and the first thing I did is I marched right into the pilot's lounge and found one of those nice, comfortable lounge chairs and laid down and crashed. You say, wow, Les, that was pretty exciting. Can you imagine your captain going through all of that when you're flying someplace? That probably would even scare the chickens. But you know... Over the, I kind of forgot about that story, and I, I went into my new life, now living for the Lord, living in my new faith and, and the Adventist faith, <clears throat> and just, just kind of went on. But one day I, I started thinking about that story and how it kind of parallels our, our Christian experience. Now, now, one of the things I didn't tell you, and then I'm, I'm going to add this in right now, is that my title was Flight Level 350. And that's because, that's a, that's, that's a term that <clears throat> pilots use. Like, if you're flying along and your pilot says, we're at 36,000 feet, that's what he tells you. But to the controller, it's Flight Level 360. Okay, so anything above 18,000 feet is a flight level. So this has to do with the barometric pressure and so forth. And if you're going west, it's 360. But if you're going east, it's odd. So even is west, odd is even. So it would be 350. So that's where I kind of got the title of this. So here we are living our life for Jesus. And we're at a good, nice altitude. Let's just call it flight level 350. We're up here with the jets, okay? And, and we're living for him. We're, we're doing all that we can to, to follow his commandments and to live for Jesus and, and live the Christian life. In fact, our, our verse that I wanted to share, it says, only let your, this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, our, our verse that we read. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what we want to do, right? Let our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That you stand Fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So that's where we want to be, you know? And so here we are with this good altitude, doing everything we can to live our lives for Jesus. But then another thing kind of comes in, and that's in, in 1 Peter chapter, or 1 Peter 1 5, <clears throat> verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, comes in like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So here we're living the life for Jesus, and all of a sudden, the devil comes in, and he's got a thousand little temptations and deceptions, and we've been studying about all this stuff, the major ones in our Sabbath school lesson right now. But all of this stuff, he comes in after us. And it begins to kind of just lull us to sleep in a spiritual sense, you know. The world kind of just gets to us a little bit. And our, our hand starts maybe falling off the wheel a little bit. And we start descending in our altitude. 
and end up dishonoring the Lord. Now, even then, we are not forsaken of God. One of the most beautiful teachings in the Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I pray you don't sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Isn't that good news? That Jesus is there. And what does that mean? First of all, we know, <clears throat> Jesus knows where we are, but we know where he is. In the temple in heaven, interceding for us. And when we're in Christ, when God the Father looks at us, it means he sees us through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see us in our sinful condition. He sees us through the lens of the the perfection and the purity of Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing for us. And there's something else he's doing for us, too, because we know for the last 174 years, since the real day of atonement started in heaven, that he is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And what's in there that's so significant? Well, the Ark of the Covenant. And what's inside of the Ark of the Covenant? The real Ten Commandments. The ones that God, the the Ten Commandments that God made a copy of and gave to Moses and he put in the Ark on on plenary. That means we know what's inside that Ark up there. It's right in here in this book. It says exactly the way it reads in this book. And so we can know that Jesus is up there and exactly what that law says. And it's the highest law there is, moral law in the universe. And that's what God wants us to follow. And we know we are not, as we keep the Sabbath, and very few people on the planet keep it that way, we know we are not following some cunningly devised fable because we can see it right where Jesus is right now. That's what we need to remember. And so, there is hope for all of us. I pray you don't sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And by the way, there's something else. I might just add one more thing there. And that is that since this real Day of Atonement started, we know that was the start of the judgment, right? But isn't it interesting that not only is Jesus our advocate, John chapter 5, verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So, can you think of any place in the court systems where your defense attorney, your advocate, and the judge are one and the same person? I can't find one. I even asked some attorneys that. That's a pretty good thing, don't you think? Jesus is on our side. He wants us all to be in his kingdom with him. And he is doing everything he can on his part. And he wants us to commit our lives to him every day through our prayers and through our life because he is doing everything for us. Not only is he our advocate, he's also our judge. And that is good news. Now, I suppose in one sense, in one sense only, that falling asleep in a spiritual sense is not the worst thing in the world, in one sense. Because you remember the story in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. Remember, five had oil, five did not have oil, 
But <clears throat> the point is, all ten of them fell asleep in the parable. So maybe that's not the worst thing. They're they all ten. So, so the issue was not falling asleep. The issue was falling asleep without oil. On my last professional flight, right before I made the decision to get out of flying and I was going to become a literature evangelist, which is, which is what I did and what I've done with my career ever since. I was flying from Chattanooga back to Charlotte and the right engine of that blast plane I showed you a picture of lost oil pressure. So I had to shut the engine down. <clears throat> and the weather was kind of bad, so things got a little exciting. And as I remember, as I was going into Charlotte, they had all the fire trucks out there, which I thought was kind of cool. <clears throat> and later, later on, I found out they had it on television. Not me, but the story. I guess they didn't have too much good news that night, so they had to come up with something. But the point is, engines don't work without oil. And our spiritual engines don't work without oil either. And the Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 4 exactly how we can get that spiritual oil. It comes through the two olive branches, down through the golden pipe, out through the seven golden lampstands. That's how we get it. And it's for the asking. Asking and it shall be given you. Seeking you shall find. Knocking and it shall be opened unto you. And it's for sinners. You being evil. Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? And God wants us to have an abundant amount of this Spirit, doesn't He? He wants us to have a full measure. <clears throat> I remember back then when I was flying that big plane, we took a flight to Hawaii. My wife and I just took a cruise to Hawaii. It was kind of awesome. We were the first one on the, the cruise that could not go to the big island, so we didn't get any lava. But it was, it was a beautiful place. It is a heavenly place, i got to admit. But back then, when we went, we went to Hawaii, and when we got ready to return, the fuel officer would only give us three quarters fuel. And we didn't like that. We didn't want to go back over the ocean, back to the mainland with just three-quarters fuel. We wanted a full tank. Remember, I'm talking about a full measure. That's what the, the point is. Well, it just so happened that with us was our commander. He was a general. Now, he was a pilot. He was leaving the pilot, the flying to us, but he was with us. And we told him about this situation. So he went to the fuel officer. So now you have the general talking to the fuel officer who was a major down here, see? And the general said to the major, Major, I understand <clears throat> you're only going to give us three-quarters fuel to leave the island. Yes, sir, that's the directive. That's the best we can do. And the general said to the major, Well, major, that does present a problem. Because you see, I like to fly with my tanks full. And the major had a two-word response to the general. Yes, Sir. And we left Hawaii with full tanks. So here's my little thing. When Major D, the D stands for the devil, 
Okay? When Major D comes to you and telling you you just need three quarters, you tell him that your Heavenly Father is a very, 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 very high-ranking general. The highest in the universe. And he says you can have a full tank whenever you want. All you have to do is ask. That's ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. God wants us to have a full, a full measure. And when he gives us his spirit, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit brings us conviction. And that's a good thing. He begins to show us that just maybe we're starting to get a little too close to this world. Maybe we're starting to drift off and it's kind of putting us to sleep. Satan seems to be doing his thing. And our hands are starting to maybe fall off the wheel a little bit. We're losing some altitude. When that happens, that's a blessing. That's the Spirit of God showing us where our lives are going and what we need to do about it. And so when that happens, this is what we need to do. First of all, we need to just stand up and step back and take a look at the situation. Analyze the situation. And then, we need to start jogging like this to make sure we stay awake. And slapping ourselves in the face to do everything we can to bring ourselves back to reality. And then, we need to start yelling and screaming to ourselves as loud as we can these words. You can not Go to sleep spiritually now. Because you see, there just isn't any more time. We are hanging on a precipice of time. Even in Revelation chapter 10. Time is no more. One more flying story. When I was flying in Southeast Asia, the time I'd been there like a year and a half, the time came to come home. So they put us on this great big jetliner to come home. That plane was filled. All military people, all in uniform, all, everybody had been out of the country for a year and a half, two years, and we were all going home. You could just feel the excitement. So we took off. Our first stop was Guam to refuel, and then on to Hawaii to refuel. And now we're on our way to the mainland. We've been flying a couple, three hours, and the captain made an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now 70 miles from the jurisdictional boundary into the United States, you know, out here over the ocean. I'll give you a call when we cross over. Well, you've got to understand, this was a military flight. People have been out of the country. I mean, this was a big deal. And we all stopped doing what we were doing. And everybody started looking at their watch. 70 miles in a jet, how long does that take? 10 minutes or so? It just couldn't get there fast enough. And finally, the captain made his announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now passing over the jurisdictional boundary into the United States of America. And when he said that, that plane went crazy. 
I mean, we were yelling, crying, tears, because we knew we were almost home. Today, the captain of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, is making his announcement. My dear children, we are about to cross over the jurisdictional boundary into the eternal, everlasting kingdom of the creator and the ruler of the universe. I want you to bring your seats and your tables to their upright position. I want you to reach down and pull your seatbelt tight because it's going to get a little rough on this last part. I want you to climb and maintain the altitude that I assigned you because you are representing me. And I also want you to turn off all of that electronic stuff so you can hear my commands very, very clearly. And I've got some good news for you. I'm taking you home. We are almost home. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm.